Welcome back to the Armor of Light podcast. My name is Brady. Joined as always with James and Jared, we're here to talk to you about the toughest questions that face young Catholics today. This episode, we'll be talking about pain, suffering, and the purpose of why it's in our lives, why God allows suffering, and the joy that can come from suffering. But first, our first mailbag episode. So at the uh, end of our description in either our episodes or our podcast itself, we have our email and we encourage uh, listeners to send in their questions either about the episode itself or questions you would like covered in future episodes. So our first mailbag is from BP and it reads, in episode two, you discussed authentic friendship. You talked a lot about regular meetings. Do you think this is just in the beginning stages of the friendship or is it necessary for the whole friendship? In my situation in life, a lot of my authentic friends live in various cities, so I only see them a few times, but they still challenge me to improve myself every day. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, speaking from personal experience, I still have a lot of close friends that I don't see very regularly, probably only maybe even just a couple times a year, uh, but I'd still say I'm very close with them, and I think that goes back to kind of the friendship foundation that we started um, way back when we were younger. And so when we do see each other very infrequently, it seems like we kind of pick up right where we left off. And that's that's such a cool feeling because we know we haven't seen each other in like months, but yet we can still pick up right where we left off and share our lives with each other. So yeah, I definitely think it is possible to stay authentic friends with somebody, <clears throat> even if you don't see them every week. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, it, with um, the fact that you don't have that time that you're spending with each other, it, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be at the beginning of a friendship, but it is a good thing to, it is a good for at the beginning of the friendship, and it's also, I think, if you're working with this person and you do a lot of stuff with this people, like when you're around them, um, like if someone's close to you or if it's someone from work, like it, it can be a really friendship building thing to do stuff with them all the time, like more often and have that kind of time blocked out for them, but it doesn't have to be. So I, I do think that that was a good catch on BP's part. It was. Yeah. I would, I would just echo all of uh, what James and Jared have already said, but I would also add, I think it is important. The, the time it take or the time you meet with them and the regularity of your meetings is important more in the initial stages of the friendship. I wouldn't imagine too many authentic, true authentic friendships are created from across the world only talking to each other, you know, once a month or something like that. Like I do believe in the beginning it does take a lot of frequent meetings, frequent interaction. Um where you're really involved and engaged with the person. But then once you've established that foundation, like James said, then of course you can, you can stress it a little bit with that distance, with that in irregularity and your relationship might be able to, will probably be able to survive. Yeah. And I think that's where you get into the old friends kind of situation where it's like, you never like it's like, it's as if you didn't skip a beat, you know? you see the same people that you used to hang out with all the time and you pick up right where you left off. So I would say that that is an important part of friendship. And just cause you're not around each other all the time, 
doesn't mean that you're not able to have that still still deep connection. And it sounds like he stays in contact with a lot of people that he was good friends with too. So, yeah, and I think a lot of those old friends that you have, you already shared a lot of like your life with them. So just because you haven't seen them in a while, that doesn't diminish the fact that you guys have been great friends for so long and that that strength can basically withstand any time that you don't see each other because you have those fond memories of being together. Man, guys, I, it's like we know them. I feel like with that kind of <laughs> advice, I don't yeah. know. This advice is uh, guaranteed correct by the Armor of Light guarantee. Yes, 100%. will change your life in some way. Yes, BP, thank you for your question, and we encourage everyone else to send in their questions. Uh, we'll incorporate it into future episodes like we did today. So, gentlemen, the topic of this episode is suffering, pain, why it's in our lives, why God allows it, what can come of it, what's the, what's the purpose of suffering. So maybe we'll start off with why do you think God, a good and gracious and just and loving God, would allow suffering in our world? So I'm going to say that I think there are a couple different types of suffering. Some are caused by your own stupidity, uh, but some things are just outside of your control, like disease or um, loss of a loved one. And those are the questions that I think are, those are the types of suffering that I think are harder to explain because it's not your fault that it happened. And so I kind of want to focus on that part, the ones that, the type of suffering that you can't control. Why would God allow those types of sufferings? And I think it's, this might not be a great answer, but I think it's to remind us that our life isn't our own. Uh, I think we get too comfortable when we haven't experienced enough suffering that we kind of throw God out the window. We don't think we really need him. And it takes, it takes suffering to remind us all of us can be taken away at a moment's notice and the life that you have isn't actually your own. You should be living it for someone or something greater than yourself. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced suffering that you couldn't control. Has that brought you like closer to God or has it made you angrier with him? Uh, Cause I know I've experienced both. <laughs> sometimes I get angrier with them, but sometimes it brings me closer to him. Yeah, I'd say that those aren't necessarily, like, mutually exclusive. I, I like to think, of, especially in those situations where you do feel like um, you're either very upset with God or you're, like, or you're using it for redemption, a redemptive purpose, you are when you're mad at God, you're not being lukewarm, which is what Christ asks us to be. You know, you're being completely honest with him and that's what he wants. So I think that even when you're mad, it can be better than just like being indifferent about it. But I would say, yeah, there is a lot of ways that suffering has, it can change your life in a lot of ways. I mean, think about people who go off to war and like lose a limb or just someone who has to deal with someone who's a pain in the butt, like each day, like there's a lot of these kinds of people and there's a lot of these kind of 
uh, interactions that you have with people and it can be demoralizing sometimes but I think that's what we're getting into is that it doesn't have to be just pain and it can be used to build something greater yeah when I've experienced pain it's I mean the most pain I've ever felt in my life really led to um, sort of a a desert-like moment where you went out you couldn't see anything you couldn't really feel anything you didn't feel close to God you were like you know why has God forsaken me with this situation and it really did lead to, lead to some some anger and um, some resentment and certainly wasn't a time where my faith was strongest but I would say in my experience it definitely set the path it set the it set the way for me to become uh, for me to desire a greater relationship with him because without him it's meaningless right like the, the, the suffering was going to be there either way but with him on my side with him with me submitting my life to him it actually meant something it had a purpose and when we ask the question why does suffering exist why does god allow suffering we're implicitly asking what causes suffering cause is a, usually what people want to know when they ask why something is um and i would say there's there's some nuance to that answer because god doesn't necessarily so god um, primarily causes us when he created us in the beginning. He created us, endowed us with free will, endowed us with the ability to create ourselves, um, to create things that we see fit. Um, so the things we create, of course, now in a fallen world, are tainted with that original sin. And so, you know, compound, compound that over thousands of years and you get where suffering is just part of life. Um, so I would say suffering is a result or is caused by the fallen nature of original sin. And suffering is a result of God's mercy, honestly, like the, the, the fact that he has endowed us with the ability to partake in creation itself is God upholding the dignity of man. What we end up doing with that power is up to us and ultimately you know, we are a fallen, a fallen people, and we have original, uh, or we are we are born with original sin. Uh, thank God that baptism washes us clean of that and gives us a fighting chance at overcoming that. So the suffering in the world is not caused by God in a primary sense, but it's caused by God in the sense that He is the source of all causes and things. It's primarily caused through us and what uh, what man did to create original sin. But I think it's interesting that the main result of original sin in Genesis is God says you are going to suffer. You're going to uh, labor in the fields to um, obtain your food. The woman is going to experience labor pain. All these things are a result of our original sin, and we are dealing with those consequences to this day. So our life, there's no avoiding suffering. Everybody is going to suffer at some point. It just kind of occurred to me that you came into this world through your mother's suffering. You're going to experience 
suffering throughout your entire life and probably you're going to die in a unpleasant way. And I don't mean that in a, that shouldn't be depressing because our Catholic view of what suffering is, is that it is redemptive, that you're born through suffering, you live a life full of suffering and then you die because of suffering. All of those stages can be redemptive and we can look to Christ as the ultimate example of redemptive suffering um, as an example. But what does it what does it really mean to like suffer righteously or to be redeemed through suffering? Because I think it's a great idea in the abstract. But when you are actually suffering, no matter what somebody tells you, when they say like, "Oh, just offer it up," I just when someone says that and I'm suffering, I just want to like punch him in the face because it's like you don't understand what I'm going through. So what does it actually mean to uh, be redeemed through your suffering? I think that's. A really good distinction to make it um you know because i can cause my own suffering if i am not doing my chores if i'm not keeping my room clean keeping my car up to date with its maintenance and stuff i'm causing suffering and that's not necessarily redemptive it's just like i'm suffering and there's no reason behind it there's nothing that's redemptive behind it except picking up that cross and starting to do those things so that I'm not suffering in those ways anymore. But I think that there is suffering where it is redemptive. For example, giving up a certain amount of your wages for the poor and not from your, as we're taught in the Christian church in the Catholic church, we're, um, you know, supposed to take it from the first of our fruits and not the, just what we have left over. So it might be hard and it is hard for a lot of us, especially college students, but it's something where we, you know, it's something you can take on and you can toil that extra hour per week and put that in a basket, you know. Um, So I think that there's a redemption in that kind of suffering. There's redemption in even just not allowing yourself to become a victim of something that has happened to you as well. Um, just because, you know, someone has done something wrong to you or has hurt you in some way, that's Satan's way of trying to keep you down and not spread God's word. And there's a lot of people who have that where it's, um, you know, you, you're on the job when you're at work and it's just complaint after complaint. You're just not getting what any kind of positive reinforcement from your manager. Or you could keep studying and failing test after test after test. Um, and you could just not understand what is going on. But you can't, like, if you if you just say, like, I'm a bad student, and let yourself live with that, then you're not allowing the suffering to take on a purpose. You're just letting it keep you down. I think one of the most important distinctions is between the suffering you can control and the suffering you cannot control. So someone, especially our age in college, might be tempted to lament about their suffering of feeling exhausted, not doing well in school, or 
having difficulty maintaining maintaining healthy relationships. But then you look in at their behavior and they don't go to class. They they might go out to the bars every night. They might make unhealthy decisions. You might be suffering, sure. No one can take that away. But that is certainly in your control to turn around. If you live in a in a morally right and just manner and you know do healthy things for yourself, you will decrease your overall suffering. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the kind of suffering you cannot avoid. Heartbreak, despair, natural disaster, things un, un otherworldly it, it seems at times because it's so out of our control to even consider how we might even attempt to overcome it. That kind of suffering warrants an, a radical acceptance. And another way of thinking of that is radical surrender to that not having control to Christ himself, because he's, he's really the model, of course, of suffering, of the redemptive quality of suffering. His suffering on the cross, his suffering um, at the scourge of the pillar, his suffering of the, the social ridicule of the people that he came to save, that is, that's suffering. He is always, and rightfully so, the, the, the only one that can proclaim the worst suffering. So right away, that kind of humbles us, like we're not as bad, we're not suffering as bad as Christ did. But again, that's not to say that our suffering is not, um, not real for us or isn't worthy of sympathy. But again, relating that and surrendering that to the suffering of Christ and the fact that his suffering led to the redemption of everyone else. That's truly the model we need to be going for, the model we need to be looking at. And so if we can find a way to offer up, I know that phrase is somewhat cliche, if we can offer up our suffering, if we can surrender that need for control to Christ himself, who himself suffered most of all, he can turn that into a powerful source of redemption in our lives, in, other, in the lives of those around us, and for the kingdom itself. And I think when you do surrender your suffering to Christ and you acknowledge some suffering you can't control, that is freeing in a sense because you realize, okay, I'm just going to take life as it comes at me. There are definitely a lot of ways that I'm contributing to my own suffering that I can control. That should I fix. That's what I should fix. But when you realize some things are outside of your control and you accept that and you... Christ says to turn the other cheek. And that that's a radical message. Because when he is when he's striked um, in the face, when someone hits him, he says, Why did you do that? He doesn't he doesn't fight back. A lot of times when we face suffering, we want to like we want to fight, we want to just lash out at the world because we're in so much pain. But Christ absorbs it and returns that with love. Which is when I realized when I realized that that was mind altering that you can actually just take just take suffering and spit out love, which is I think what the message of like turn the other cheek that's what that means. Yeah, and I'd say one of the best examples I've ever gotten to read about was uh, 
St. John Paul II when he had his cancer at the end of his life, and he didn't put himself um, behind a curtain. He showed that that suffering to the world so that they understood death is a part of life, and for all the people who had prayed for him throughout his life and throughout his papacy, he was using his time and suffering. Um, there was one story he talked that was in the book, uh, St. John Paul the Great, His Five Loves. And it always kind of takes me aback. It's the story of when Pope John Paul II was walking through hospitals all these people were like, can you pray for me, Holy Father? Pray for me, Holy Father. And he's like, of course, you know. But then he asked them to pray for him and use their sufferings and stuff that they were going through as offerings for him. Because, and he gives a lot of the credit of his papacy to those people and their prayers because it's, um, it truly is redemptive. It, can be used for good you can't if you're not just sitting there and letting all these weight all this weight and evil that's coming trying to crush you if you don't let it crush you and you don't let it block you off from god then you can unify yourself with god in that moment and feel his love through the suffering so i think that that was one of the coolest things that you can one of the coolest witnesses we have is through saint john paul ii because he offered that for all the souls of today and for all the people who will be like impacted by his papacy so that they can keep the, the good church that had been reestablished at that point in time going. Yeah, and so many people wanted to pray for him. And you can't even imagine how many people he brought closer to God through his suffering because they prayed for him so that he may, his suffering may be eased. But maybe that's the first time they had prayed in a very long time. And John Paul II didn't directly convert them, but it was his suffering that caused somebody else to turn to God for the first time in who knows how long. So I think there's a lot of uh, aspects to suffering that are redemptive, not only for ourselves, but all those that watch us suffer. Yeah, imagine, I mean, this obviously relates a lot to the experience of our of Our Lady Mary. Um, imagine the suffering that she went through, seeing her son on the cross, seeing her son carry the cross onto the top of the hill, to, to see him being beaten and, and scorned and, and ridiculed. What, what can we say about suffering when it's not us, when it's someone else that we care for? I think you know, a, a parent can certainly, well, none of us are parents, but I am willing to bet that the suffering of a parent seeing their child in pain is far greater than anything else you might experience yourself. So how, how, how can we say to someone that that kind of suffering is can be good? I'd say, yeah, and it, uh, suffering, I'd just like to, to hit on that point just a little bit. Like suffering can so easily turn inward like woe is me all i can't believe that i have to go through all this while someone else doesn't have to uh, just think about how our blessed mother could have seen jesus being tortured through the streets bringing his cross up to 
ultimate where ultimately where he was crucified. She could have just thought, all this, all I did was for nothing, you know? But she sat there and she prayed for us. And she prays for us to this day. Because she knows how much pain she had, had to experience that day. But she, again, through redemption, she she let that be a moment of her becoming in union with God and saying, I, w- I pray for all these people who have done this evil to him. Yeah, there's that famous uh, sculpture by uh, Michelangelo, the Pieta, where it's Mary holding the dead body of Jesus. And I saw a replica of that last week. Um, I was fortunate to visit St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I was just standing there looking at a replica. It wasn't the real thing. But going back to what you said, Brady, it's kind of clear, like Mary and Jesus, when they suffered, that they had a d- direct connection to redemption. If that's... If I have to hold in the future my dead son in my hands, like Mary is with her son right there, how I don't know how I can tell myself that this is redemptive in some way. So I, it's like we're trying to get at that it is, yes, because it's easy to say it is in the abstract. But I, I guess I just kind of, the answer just popped into my head. As you're holding somebody that you love that's died, you are surrendering that person to God. Your son or your father, whoever it is that has passed away, they were never yours. And I think that's really hard to grasp, but I I think that's one of the only ways to view that in a redemptive manner. And I think to go to the the overall point of seeing another person suffering, you see that and you you just want to like be there for them and and be there with them in that you see their load and you want to help lighten it and in some ways i think that you're called to do that if you see that someone's load is just way too much and it's something where you can take on a little bit of extra on yourself to be able to help them through it you know, not necessarily even just through death, just like in the daily whatever that comes up. There can be a lot of things that come up and it's, you're able to do that. And it's, but I think in some ways you're not supposed to take the entire burden off of someone's shoulders because we're not Christ. And I think that that's something we can easily get locked into is I will take on this because it's something I can do and that way that person doesn't have to but that there's a reason why that weight was put on their shoulders and if you take it away from them let's say it's the weight of for example bad choices that they'd made in the past there's a a point where if you take that weight off of their shoulders then they don't grow in that then they won't they won't see the the error of their ways and turn away from that they'll just crawl back into that hole and have to start crawling out again, you know? Yeah, I think a good, I guess, imagery to use there is when Simon of Cyrene was helping Jesus carry his cross, he was helping him carry it. He didn't take it off of his shoulders. All he did was lighten the burden. So when someone's given a cross to bear, it's almost prideful to think you should take that cross from them. God gave it to them for a reason. None of us may know the reason in the moment, 
and obviously you should help them lighten their load. But it could be a grace that God gave them that cross in that moment. Yeah, that definitely touches on perhaps a secondary effect, uh, effect of suffering. The first might be the participation in the suffering of Jesus and the redemptive nature of, of his passion, and uh, you know, just like Mary did. But perhaps a second one, a secondary purpose of suffering would be the, the internal transformation that happens due to suffering. You know, the Bible teaches us that no discipline at the time seems pleasant, so, but it bears the fruit of righteousness. Well, one could call that the discipline itself suffering. Um, but of course, we know that discipline re- leads to the, the fruit of righteousness, leads to holiness, leads to, in some way, a more controlled and... and uh, efficient life of whatever it is you're becoming more disciplined in, whether that's prayer, exercise, diet, what have you. So that there's a second purpose to suffering, um, certainly not as good, but perhaps more relevant to us. Yeah, so I think, I guess the exercise one is easy to hone in on because as you're exercising, you are suffering, and it's clear to see that, yeah, the, the fruits of your labor are you typically feel better later on in the day because you worked out in the morning, for example. But I think you can also view it as I really hate working out and I'm not doing it because I will feel better later on. I'm doing it because I'm taking on suffering so that when I do suffer in a more, more intense way in the future, it seems lighter. So like, for example, sometimes I go running and I, I do not like running. I absolutely hate running, but I do it because I hate it, which is weird. I'm just, I like force myself to do it. And I think it kind of leads to that idea of self-mastery, like that denial of self. I'm not saying I have perfected that in, in any way, but I think that's an example of when you voluntarily take on suffering that can lead to self-mastery in the long term. Yeah, and I there was someone I know who um, really stuck with the uh, taking cold showers, and one of the things he told me about that was that cold showers are not fun. <laughs> cold showers aren't aren't something you just want, but there's a way that you can allow Christ into that to the point where you do want that, where you're sitting in the water like rushing over you the cold water and you feel Christ's love through that and I was just taken aback to that because I can't imagine not going <laughs> without that warm shower I, I, I shower in a basement man you know <laughs> but it's it, it really did just take me aback it was a really beautiful witness to there's a way that you can take on a suffering that yeah you will you'll feel it you can learn to feel Christ's love in that and then take that into your life moving forward where you can practice that self-denial to the point where maybe you will be called on to take up someone's weight a little bit. Um, It won't be something where you're just like, oh, this is heavy. I can't believe I have to take on old James's cross, you know, like Kevin Kanekin himself. Like, 
you know, you're, you're helping someone out and you're not complaining about it and you're not letting them see the, the weight that they're taking on. And I think that that being able to have that self mastery and being able to find the grace of God in that pain, in the uncomfort, I think that's where you get into the realm of, in the common sports analogy, falling in love with the process. Because when you are working out every day, when you're practicing every day, working to get that step, cutting through a hole one step quicker, or um, making your your cuts in one quicker way, little by little it adds up. And it stinks at first, but eventually you'll you'll just start to see how it it turns it turns into something. You turn into a really good product on the field, and then all of a sudden you fall in love with each of these ways I can get better through each rep. And I think that that's very freeing. Again, one of the ways that I really enjoy is through sports and through exercise. Is you can find yourself struggling with the pain at first but then slowly allowing that that pain to be something you enjoy because not only you see the fruits of it but you can use that time as a way to say like I'm like trying to lift this bar right now and it hurts it sucks and I don't want to or I don't want to get up and get it get out to the weight room this morning but this is where I can be with God for a little bit. So you own that and you, you run to that. So I think that suffering can be very freeing in that way when you take it on as you open yourself up to it and reject the victimhood mentality of it completely to the point where you're fully open. And the pain is sort of a side thing to where you see oh, I'm experiencing pain. That means that God is loving me right now. He's crushing me with his love, you know? Yeah, I think that I think that actually raises, if we can take this a little more abstract, it raises a more philosophical question. If we aren't uh, attracted to the good uh, pleasure, let's say, of a particular act, what is it, what is it exactly that's attracting us to this action? What What is attracting us towards suffering i would argue it's joy now joy is a complex uh concept and i'm not asserting in any means that i know exactly what it means but i would i would certainly assert that joy is a taste of heaven um it's a gift and a grace from god that sort of motivates us to the more holy goods i would you know Let's draw an analogy between pleasure. Pleasure, uh, in its ordered manner, drives us towards the, the fullness of our natural body. Um, food. We, we seek pleasure in food, so we become full and satiated and we're nourished in our body. We find, we find pleasure in sex because that leads to our natural end of reproduction and, and uh, spreading on our, our species or what have you. Joy could be a more spiritual, it could be an, the analogy of the more spiritual side. It, it could be joy leads us to those things that make us more virtuous, that lead us to heaven, and joy is then the, the fruit or the, the little taste of heaven we get. 
So what might we what might we say about suffering that it leads to joy rather than pleasure? I did not realize Aristotle was on our podcast. <laughs> Mr. Stottle. <laughs> but I'd say a key component of joy in this life is the idea of hope. So in all of our suffering examples, we know it is not for eternity that we are suffering. We know we have a hope that there is some sort of redeeming quality to it. And so I think hope and joy at least in this life, because obviously when we get to heaven, there is no reason to hope. We are already, we are face to face with, with goodness itself. So we are in a complete state of joy. But in this life, hope and joy are inseparable. And I think the opposite of joy is despair. And that's, that's the idea of hell. You're in complete despair. So when we're suffering, we always have hope that this is going to be for something better. And with hope comes that joy. So I'd, I'd say if you have that mindset of, one might say, trusting the process, that like hope is implied when you are trusting the process because you know something good is going to come from it. Yeah, and I'd say that's, I guess, the whole idea of purgatory too is where you fall in love with that that cleansing fire to the point where it hurts it doesn't feel great but this is cleaning you off so that you can be a better man for christ and so you can one day sit and praise in him in his heavenly kingdom and it's something that not necessarily i guess i don't think we have the choice whether we get to to experience purgatory or not but when you take it on and you have that cleansing fire and you can take it on i guess in ways on earth where you're taking on those those different sufferings and if you learn again to love that pain it's just it's freeing to the point where you can experience christ's love and then you can take that and turn around and spread it and I think that that's, I guess, where if you take that on in a group too, it can be so powerful, especially as young men. And taking on the suffering of um, like a service project or like something like Exodus 90 even, you're taking all these these things and everyone's going through something, struggling, you know, and... Maybe that's your first few meetings is just talking about, man, this doesn't, this kind of sucks. But the, by the end of it, you're just like, I'm seeing all these fruits. I'm seeing how I can live a life in a way that I didn't, wasn't able to before. And you see that in your, the, the fellow guys that you're working with. And it's just, I want that for them. So I'm going to keep struggling for them or they're going to struggle for me because they see the joy that I'm going with and everyone is starting to grow exponentially again you know throwing back to the last episode where we talked about the exponent where you um, you start going <laughs> swoop yeah a math lesson again? <laughs> yes um, actually we're we've moved on from that in my class so i won't stick too far into it but yes you will add the exponent and it starts shooping because when 
other people start to when you start to see that other people are embracing their suffering and they start investing in you and you start investing in them it becomes suffering for a greater purpose than just yourself and that's where you start to achieve the things that you are striving to achieve as a, as a group as a team this is one of the great ways i think one of the great things we've lost in our culture is so much of us focus on our, the victimhood of self and all the suffering that we have to go through on the daily but everyone around us struggles and suffers also and if you can take that on and like join them in their suffering and they join you in your suffering and you're both invested in each other then when you start to see the fruits of that suffering and you start to like better yourself in a way that you're not taking on additional suffering for some stupid reason you know it's like standing in front of a pool of lava and you could just walk around but you know a lot of us kind of you know play in the shallow end but if you're not choosing to jump in or you know hang out in the kiddie pool then as you're starting to step out and walk with that with that suffering that you're gonna naturally have anyway it can be so rewarding yeah, that idea of group suffering, I think, is a really interesting one. There's that classic Bible verse, like, iron sharpens iron as as man should sharpen man. But as this is not an original thought of mine, I'm copying this from somebody else, but as iron is sharpening iron, sparks are flying everywhere. And it's not a pretty process at all. It's not an easy process. Metals are banging together. And I think, sorry, just to go off of what you were saying there, you know, and those sparks they can land on the right person too and ignite ignite something in them. Sorry, just wanted to throw that image in. No, that's that's very good. Jerry, I would say wise beyond your years as I think you've touched on perhaps the third purpose of suffering. First, the primary purpose we might call the sharing in the redemptive nature, participating in the in the the passion of Christ. Secondary we might call um, the benefit that it does for our own life to grow in discipline, to bear the fruits of righteousness. And three, the, the perhaps the most redemptive, we might call the willing acceptance of suffering, which you talked, uh, which you talked about. When you, when you make that radical change to not only avoid the suffering that is meaningless, like the suffering you can avoid, but then you accept the suffering you can't control, you can't avoid, you can't escape. But then a step higher is to actually willingly bring upon yourself more suffering. I would call that sacrifice. I would call that the utmost way in which to participate with the passion of Christ, because that ultimately is the sacrifice. We do it every Sunday. We remember it every Sunday. That to willingly put upon yourself the suffering to perhaps even take suffering away from other people, that that's what Jesus does. That's what is ultimately going to, to take us to heaven. And another way I think you can think about it is if you replace the word suffering with responsibility. Jesus took on the responsibility of our sins, and it was not something that he did, but he took it on for our sake. Yeah, he didn't deserve it. Mm -mm. But it's like, when 
you break the neighbor's window and your dad goes over and fixes it. You know, he didn't, you know, it's not his fault that the window got broken, but he went and paid the money and, or maybe went out and bought the thing and helped put it back up together. He took on the responsibility of that broken window that the kid probably was too young to be able to take on. Christ, in a much more extravagant way, took on the windows we had broken and took responsibility for that, for that action. And he, you know, he suffered for it. It was, you know, in this way, it was a lot of maybe work to put up that window. It was a lot of work to be able to put up the money for that window. But he thought it was worth it for the sake of our souls to be able to give himself, to break himself and give all of himself for the responsibility that we couldn't take on. Yeah, and if we're not on our knees every day thanking him for that, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> yeah, people always ask, like, why does Jesus? Ha- why did Jesus have to die to to cure us all, to redeem us all? Well, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't have to do anything because he loved us. He did because he loved us. He came down and suffered, died, and redeemed us all, and gave us uh, a chance to be with him in eternal in eternal life. Well, and I think that maybe one of the best things that we can take away from suffering is, again, that idea of responsibility. Because we as men have a lot to take on, and in just our own lives, we have to take on the fact that our rooms are typically a mess. (laughs) Um, The fact that we like to put things off for, you know, a quick joy, or I guess not quick joy, quick pleasure. Um procrastination we take a lot of things that we uh, of our responsibilities and we kind of shove them off to the side until they're needed to be done and as men i think it's our responsibility to start little by little taking those things on ourselves cleaning your room before you go hang out with your friends Um, doing your homework before you spend more time with friends I guess um, if you keep putting those things off or before I guess watching that next video even you're or spending more time watching TV there's a lot of things we distract ourselves with and it's ultimately to put off that responsibility but if we quit avoiding and we start taking on that responsibility and not in a way that it's just like oh I'm going to photo math this homework until it gets done where you take on the responsibility all of a sudden you can do those equations when it comes to test time you can fix a car or you can change your oil when the next time that light comes on you can fold a fitted sheet it's something <laughs> we can do can apparently you? <laughs> i would need to watch Hypoth- a video on that. i've heard hypothetically according to legend <laughs> Man can fold a fitted sheet, and it's not just something our moms can do. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would Holding say also. For us. <laughs> I would also say that responsibility extends to women too. I mean, I'm, 
I'm quite convinced that if women left us, society would just burn to the ground. <laughs> I don't think us men could make it work without yeah. them. So, I mean, there was responsibility for, for everyone. And, and taking that upon themselves is a personal struggle, sure. But it's also not done alone. You have friends, you have family, you have Christ himself to carry that cross with you. Um, and you are given the strength to carry whatever cross is put upon you, and you're not, you're not uh, challenged beyond your means. Uh, and every time you take a step, you become even stronger. Yeah, I think a very interesting Bible story that talks about that is the story of Job. It's hard to talk about suffering without ever mentioning Job because he's like the most suffering person in all of the Bible. And it's a really interesting story because God basically says to Satan, do whatever you want to Job. His faith will not falter. I like He has so much faith in me that the devil can basically kill his whole family, give him all these diseases. But God knew that Job had the faith. He had the strength. He wouldn't have made this deal per se if Job if he knew Job didn't have that strength to persevere in his suffering. So if if you are facing suffering that you can't control, know that you do have the strength to get through it, but not on your own. That strength only comes from above. So if you're trying to do everything on your own, you're turning to your friends, they aren't helping, you gotta go to the foot of the cross because that is the source of all of our strength. That requires an incredible amount of humility to recognize that, yeah, okay, maybe I can't face all of my suffering on my own. But that's at, it's at that point when you recognize I need to be more humble. That's when that suffering becomes redemptive. Yeah. I don't know why, for whatever reason, I, I always can put the image of the Alamo into this prayer. But trust me, it'll follow. <laughs> so one of the things that one of the most humbling prayers that I, I try to keep to is Lord where I'm weak make me strong and Lord where I'm strong make me strong and let this be used as glory for you because and I think about the Alamo because there's obviously the big front of the mission where all of the Texans were mainly fortified they had cannons out the windows they were able to hold that position a lot better than some of their flanks and so it was the flanks where the Mexican army started to enter into the Alamo, and at that point it became a slaughter. In that same way, I think that temptation and evil allows to creep into our lives. So if we truly want to change our lives, we Christ will give us those a 50-foot wall in place of that flank and make it so that Satan can't creep into those weak areas if you just let him. But letting him doesn't just mean like saying, hey, Lord, I let you do this. It's taking up those responsibilities that you were failing to take up, doing those things. And then as you start to let those become part of your habit, you become stronger in them and you're able to also take on the other sufferings that you weren't necessarily the other responsibilities that you weren't necessarily doing before. Um, just like in, in your job, 
you could be doing what you did every day and complaining about it. You could also do what you do. You know, if you make a thousand spreadsheets, make your a thousand spreadsheets and take out the trash. You know, you take <laughs> something that, you know, no one wants to do, but if you add that onto it, it starts to add up and you start to feel better about yourself and you start to take on these different responsibilities. And that's how eventually you might get up into that upper role. Not that that's the goal of it, but like if you allow Christ to take on that, those weaknesses and you truly allow Christ to make you strong in those weaknesses through bettering your practices. And, um, that comes through like any kind of temptation, then those walls start to get really strong. And then your strong walls start to get really stronger. And Christ's help, I think can come in many different ways. It can be through strengthening you or it can be Christ working through somebody else who is going to help you carry that cross. And it requires humility to accept somebody's help. I think a lot of times us guys, we're like, oh, no, we're, we're strong. We, we can do everything on our own. I don't, I don't need help doing this. But if, if you're struggling and Christ reaches out his hand through somebody else, don't be arrogant enough to just um, whack it out of the way. Like, accept that help. I would like to note when James said we're men, we like to think that we're strong. Both Brady and I looked <laughs> each other in the eye and squared up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think James really has summed this all up, and if we can offer some final words, it would be turning suffering into something more than just a bad circumstance or pain is really a spirit of humility. It's really that radical surrender of of that suffering, of your life, of of everything to Jesus. Um, there's a a novena I've begun that the the main prayer is Lord I surrender myself to you take care of everything and it's it's you know I've only been doing it for you know let's say a week a week or so and it's honestly revolutionized the, my perspective at least during prayer the fact that we we have the capacity to surrender everything to Jesus and he actually wants that he wants to take it um, and he want he, his will is so much more is so perfect. Uh, so you if you do want to take it yourself, you can be confident that you will not produce a better result than <laughs> Jesus. So that's that's quite the trade off, you know. Do you want in control or do you want what's best for your life? If you want what's best for your life, then that that radical humility and surrender to Jesus is is what you need to do, and that, that includes your suffering. So. Um, any other final final words? I no. think this was a good discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I think we solved the problem of pain <laughs> right here. Right Take now. that, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> no, we that lo- humility we love, guy. We love, humility. we love C.S. Lewis. We love C.S. Lewis. No, if we keep making self-deprecating jokes, it proves how humble we are. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Armor of Light. Uh, myself, James, Jared, we... We thank you for listening, and we encourage your support. Please give us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts. Write a review, five stars only, please. And, of course, if you have any questions, uh, if this sparked any insights in you or you have any ideas about future episodes that we can discuss, 
send it to our mailbag. And if you have any stories that you would like to share about Christ's redemptive work in your life through suffering or perhaps the suffering of another, we, we'd love to hear them. We, we, want to, we want to reach out to you. We want to interact with you as listeners. And of course, we want to offer our prayers to you. So thank you again for joining us on another episode and have a blessed day.